Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. The home and away rounds done and dusted. The finals uh, about to begin, well, after a brief little spell with the uh, controversial at times pre-finals by week this week. But we are coming to you as ever with plenty of content this week. We are going to wrap up the years of the non-finals teams talk about what went wrong, what they need, how to get better, um, uh, plus plenty of news on the agenda as well. As I say, very good morning to my Footyology podcast co-host, Mr. Rodney Eade. How are you, Rocket? Uh, morning, Ron. Fantastic, mate. Uh, I think I'm looking forward to the weekend by as well, so i able to regenerate and rejuvenate. So uh, I, think the, I think the teams will appreciate going into the first final. Uh, just quickly, so you don't, uh, this is a big hobby horse of mine about it. I, um, I know that, that's what I mentioned. <laughs> intruding on the integrity. I've got to be honest though, from a purely uh, selfish point of view, yeah, I, I think I'm not minding the prospect of a weekend uh, where I can actually do something else as well. But um, uh, good chance for us to review. And uh, it's, it's an int- just quickly, before we get stuck into it, I'm finding the, lower half of the ladder, a very interesting proposition this year because I think there's some sides that have finished in positions that aren't really reflective of the years they've had, i.e. some have finished quite low and yet you're really positive about them. Alternately, I think there's others that weren't far off that you can't be nearly as positive. No, that's right. No, I agree totally. I mean, essence, that like in that last basket, you talk about Adelaide and probably Hawthorne too, that uh, where they finished doesn't reflect what we thought their seasons would like. So I think it I think it shows the evenness of competition. Um the vagaries of an uneven draw. Um whereas you know teams like Essen play West Coast and North twice each. Um other teams play them once. So you can get a you can get a, a nice soft draw at times which can help you. Uh, I think Adelaide pushed uh, the pies to less than go in both games. Um there was another close one, so they no, they're probably unfortunate that didn't make the uh, make the finals. But anyway, uh, that's something they can learn, and they're going to go another step next year. Well, we're going to drill down on all those clubs in detail very, very shortly. But first, let's talk about a bit of uh, news going on in the footy world. On footyology news feed. All right, well, let's have a chat about the end of the home and away rounds, Rocket. And I've got to say, I was really happy with that last round of the season for a number of reasons. There were some good storylines. Um, the Giants, of course, getting qualifying for the finals in the last game of the season. But I, I think the thing I was almost happiest about was North Melbourne beating Gold Coast down in Tassie and another hopefully fatal blow to the ongoing tedious debate about tanking because for me and not just that game but West Coast beating the Bulldogs the previous week it's like the the clubs are saying we, we don't buy this stuff that you know that it's worth actually sort of throwing a game for the pro, for the chance to have a draft selection one pick more than we might otherwise have and uh, good for football was my verdict how did, how did you see it? Oh, yeah, totally agree. No, totally agree. I, I thought that uh, if it, it gets tight like that, maybe people may uh, contemplate those sort of uh, happenings. 
But as we said last week, once players go over the line, they, they're not even thinking about uh, laying low. No one's going to mention it to them. And uh, I think for North's situation, and I think Clarkson's probably right, getting four points is going to mean more to them than actually getting a pick that's one that's, you know, that's one pick down. So I think uh, from there, for their confidence, uh, the way they played was was encouraging. Larkin played really well, but also some kids. That, and they had some players out. They had quite a few injuries. So I think from that, uh, to, it gives them a kickstart to go into the pre-season. Uh, now, they'll get a few concessions uh, as well. And, and you never know, the players might want to go there and say, well, you can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and then may project up the up the ladder quickly. So I, I, I think it was a real positive for them and a real positive for competition, as you say, the tanking debate. And people will use that at times just for clickbait, just so they can get a headline, just to be controversial. Um uh, but I don't think there's any team that deliberately wants to do that. I, I feel I do feel like it's it's basically a media driven narrative. This because I mean the, you go back over draft history and we've had it's been going since 1986. We've had a lot of them now. But like a how many number one picks have ended up premiership players? It's pretty limited. How many number one picks have ended up actually even being the best picks in that draft? You know, I mean a couple of you know, without drilling right down to it, you've got your yeah, Nick Rewald, uh, Luke Hodge, even, although even his year, Chris Judd was in his year. But it's never that cut and dried. And, and as for premiership players uh, who are number one picks, I think there's been four. Drew Banfield, Des Hedlund, um, Luke Hodge, Luke Hodge, and Tom Boyd, who had to go to a second club to do it. So, I mean, look, when you were coaching... How did you used to view that sort of discussion? Oh, we need to, you know, we need to get pick one instead of pick two. You know, I, I just find it a bit, the whole thing a bit sort of. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, in my time, unfortunately, we're never down there. But even in a situation of being pick six to pick eight or whatever the case may be, it was never a discussion. Um, it was all about, you know, teams all put players out to get surgery like Geelong did last week because they know they can't make the finals and give them an extra week or two or three weeks recovery and that's fair enough but that's not tanking that's just this management and that's just yeah. being smart it's not about where you finish on the ladder or are you getting another draft pick it's not going to be the case so I think what North did last week was great for them it was great for the competition um, and that and it gives obviously uh, the West Coast pick one at this stage but they'll trade that out um, and, and that's great for the competition as well so yeah I think it's a win-win all around well, I mean, Harley Reid, I don't know how familiar you are with Harley Reid. I'll put my hand up. I'm not that familiar with him. But everyone's saying, oh, he's a generational player. I swear, every year, whoever is the mooted number one pick, people are talking. Someone somewhere will say, this is a once-in-a-generation player. I mean, we do it every year, don't we? Is Harley Reid going to be that much better than whoever goes at number two or three? Well, I don't know. I know he'll be a really good player. But well, the, have a look at two years ago when Dacos... But he went to pick two or three because I can't remember who went pick one and that. But they didn't nominate. But he's a generational player, and if yeah. he was pick one, so there are going to be players every now and then. As you said, Chris Judd was pick three, um, uh, and there probably is going to be a generational player. But are you hundred percent confident they're going to be that? Are they going to get injuries? Are they going to do their knees early? Are they going to be injury ridden, which happens a lot? So th- there's no guarantees about it at all. So. I think you just got to worry about your own backyard as North did win as many games as you can, play for that, get confidence for the group, and what happens when the draft happens. 
All right, well, let's move on. And uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. So uh, the All-Australian team will be announced this evening and uh, every chance you'll be listening to this after it's been announced. So uh, limited discussion we can have about this, but it's always worth talking about the extended squad of 44 that gets announced. And as always, I mean, there's always going to be some unlucky omissions. I guess the... The ones who I think appear most unlucky to have missed out on that squad, at least, uh, by consensus, would be Tim Taranto from Richmond, uh, Jeremy Cameron at Geelong, and also Brian Myers at Geelong, who certainly had a lot written about his capacity for you know, the best goal assist player in the league. Cameron, absolutely superb until he got injured and, and got concussed. Yeah. And Taranto's been racking up the numbers, unfortunately, and I'm not going to even dignify it by saying who we're talking about because everyone knows, but he became the subject of a very clickbait-inspired, you know, how good is his contribution. But those three in particular, Rocket, given that it's a squad of 44, which is a considerable amount of people, I would have thought all three of them are a bit stiff. Oh, oh, very much so. And I reckon Sam Taylor, everyone's talking about Sam Taylor. He never lost a one-on-one and people were talking about him being the best backman in the competition. And doesn't get him in the 44. I know he missed a three or four weeks with hamstring, but that's uh, crazy. And Rory Laird to me in Adelaide, mm. Rory Laird, I reckon, will win their best and fairest in front of Tex and Dawson. He's had a great year. Yeah. And he doesn't even get in the 44. Like, it's just amazing. So there's five that you would think would be certainly be in there. Like you know, I, I just can't believe those players just didn't get in the 40. Or Tim Taranto and oh the other one was Josh Dunkley. I think Josh Dunkley will win their best and fairest. Uh, and they may be a premiership team and he doesn't even get in the 44. Like uh like it's quite amazing. Uh, so yeah I don't know what criteria they have to but anyway, I know it's a difficult task, but uh players have had you know and you can probably maybe an argument they don't make the 22, but certainly the 44 those Five or six should have been in there. Oh, this is the problem, isn't it? I, I used to pick uh, when I worked at the Age. I picked an all, my all Australian team every year, and it always, yeah, never failed to every year, you know, inspire abuse and trolling and all that stuff. But I mean, it's such a difficult exercise, and I mean, it just goes without saying that for every guy picked, you know, there's another candidate who could have been picked, and and the criteria, I guess, becomes a thing, doesn't it? To what extent do you rely on stats? To what extent do you rely on your eye? Um, and always a, a tough one to to measure up. Oh, look, I'll ask you. You know, when you're assessing player performances as a coach, sort of what percentage did you rely on stats versus your own observation? Uh, I was probably a little bit different to most coaches. Stats weren't as the bigger priority of. Uh, I viewed how I saw the game, um, but their role they had to play. So they mightn't, like Dale Morris to me was unbelievable what he would do, but his stats wouldn't indicate um, anything. Yeah. <laughs> much. He wouldn't get a lot of the ball sometimes, but he'd be a really good player. So, so to me, and that's the Sam Taylor of, uh, um, I mean, they measure stats now winning one on ones, but uh, yeah, I think stats sometimes help you because you might miss something and say, oh, gee, I didn't realise he's. Is effectiveness uh, with this or that. So I think there's a combination of both. But if you rely, the danger is relying totally on one or the other. If you rely totally on stats, it doesn't give you the true picture. The role they have to play, they may sacrifice at times. That's why tankers don't get in. That's why players who play the role down back don't don't get in much. It's more about 
any possessions you get, how much uh, springboard, intercept marks, whatever the case may be. And sometimes teams allow a player to be by himself to... Um, they, they force that situation. So, because he, he's a talented player, to be able to be an intercept marker, so he doesn't have a role to play to defeat an opponent. So, I, I think it's more about the role they can play. Um, like Tim Taranto is the one, uh, he probably doesn't make it because he doesn't look sexy. And same with Josh Dunkley. They don't look sexy when they've got the ball, maybe kicking up a chimney every now and then. But I think Tim Taranto was the second highest midfielder with goal kicking. So mm. he doesn't look effective and he, he's, a, he's an accumulator, as is Dunkley. But their effectiveness with tackling, uh, putting pressure on the opposition and two-way running, I, th- I think I think was exceptional. So it's more the role they play for the team. I think um, I, I might be. I think this is right. That as a pure mid, uh, only Errol Golden of Sydney kicked more goals than Taranto. So uh, I was just going to ask you a question without notice. But alternately, has there been a player whom you perhaps, in hindsight, have underrated, and then you've seen the statistical profile, and it's sort of brought you around in terms of that player? Um, there certainly would be. I can't think of the top of my head as such. Um, I think uh, even though I rated them really highly, uh, uh, Daniel Cross and Matthew Boyd, um, and I really you know, love them as players because they weren't highly uh, fancy players, but just knocked the door down with hard work and effort. I suppose William Pickham was another one as well. But certainly visually you see the work they do, then the stats sort of back it up and go, gee, I didn't realise... I thought it was just me looking through rose-colored glasses, as in, because you like the effort and the courage and the work rate, but their stats really backed up as well. All right, interesting discussion, and obviously, even after the announcement of the All-Australian team uh, this evening, as we record this, there'll be plenty more debate about who got in and who missed out. All right, uh, just going to finish off with uh, Coach Watch. <laughs> it's that time of year, but really interesting um, over in the West where Adam Simpson, uh, obviously it's been a car crash the last couple of years for the Eagles. Uh, the the jungle drums were beating very loudly, and uh, but West Coast, not for the first time, they marched to their own drum and uh, Chairman Paul Fitzpatrick on Monday came out and announced that Adam Simpson would in fact be staying. his contracted to the end of 2025, so another year even beyond next year. Much discussion about the size of the payout they'd be due because uh, he'd be due because he's on pretty decent money. But the Eagles are standing by Adam Simpson. They released a lengthy statement. I'll just give you a couple of quotes from it. Um, Paul Fitzpatrick, the chairman, said, No one knows our playing list better than Adam. He's already steered us through the first phase of the rebuild. We're confident he can take us forward to where we aspire to be. Um some of the work has already started. It'll continue in the off-season through the pre-season. We know we need to be better across all aspects of the football program. We'll again go to the draft where we currently hold first selection and we'll look to bring in elite youngsters with that and other selections. We're also open to bringing in players through the trade period who fit our needs and list profile. Adam is central to our development plans to assist the club's rise up the ladder. Well, it's all very motherhood statement-ish. Uh, they, they do have a long and proud history, the Eagles, of going sort of up yours to the football public. We do it our way. And uh, you just shut up and, and uh, just watch us do our thing. Um, are you surprised he's going to be occupying that position next year? 
Yes, I am for both, for both of them, for Adam's sake and for West Coast yeah. as well. Um, now that they've made the decision, A, they've got to support him and put some good support, but he's got to be open now to some strong feedback of where he needs to improve. There's no doubt. Now, they last this year, they were terrible last year. So that's two years in a row they've been down the bottom four. The previous year they missed the final. So they've had three really average years for a team that won a flag. Yeah. So it's just not a constant. They can sack the, the fitness bloke and they can do whatever they like, but Adam's got to take control of their training uh, standards um, to get themselves fit and and probably uh, rule with a bit more stronger fist and say this is the way we're doing things. And I think probably that maybe some older players have been able to drift along and injuries have come. And so I think internally it's okay to... Uh, Point or reappoint or keep him going, but there's got to obviously got to be some change. It's just not, don't just change the names on the deck chairs either. Just don't put another, just another cardboard cut out there. Let's now we've got to change our behaviours and the way we go about it. It looks like a whole club really just rested on its laurels after winning that 2018 flag, which is now five years ago, and that can happen. And and then you sort of look back and you go, oh geez, you know, five years have elapsed and we've done nothing. Purely from and and I guess that's almost in his favour, isn't it? Because they can look and say, well, it's not just the coaching; it's it's list management, it's you know, fitness, it's blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Purely in terms of what a coach can control and the way they play their footy, do you think he's been sufficiently proactive, or is he too sort of still trying to run a game style and tactics that are five years out of date? Yes, I agree. Yeah, I don't think they changed their style. They cheap mark. When once they got in front, it was and I think you know, we're quite critical really of them just slow with the ball, defend with ball in hand. They didn't really play any youngsters, to be honest. They've stuck fat with ones that have been successful, which is a trap you can fall by. I'd follow to that myself. So no one's worth the credit, so you stick with them. But they didn't evolve. Um game style. Uh, list-wise, uh, the way they went about it, and they just got swamped. They just got swamped. And with starting to players starting to drift out in with injury or performance and not change them, and then with the stand rule coming, the game changed, and they didn't change at all, and they just got, they just got swamped, and they just missed the boat completely. Now they've got a long way back. They certainly have. Uh, well, well, we'll watch with interest. I think one thing it's safe to say, though, as um, you know, strongly as they're getting behind their man now, I reckon if they started next season, even you know half as badly as they have the last couple, I don't reckon he'd be lasting through the season another year on. I really no, don't. No, exactly. It's interesting. Like, I, I know it's not the same thing, and people will say, "Oh, it's completely irrelevant." But like the tanking. Don't worry about the tanking. Just go out and win. And it's like the hub. They whinge and moan about the hub. Yeah. Oh, we don't want to be here. And they say the AFL put them back to Perth. They don't. They don't get locked up at all. Every other club did. And they whinge, and you still heard them whinge and moan. And the coach started all that, and they did that. He's telling, well, just get on with it. To me, that was just something, an indication on the mindset of what it is that. Oh well, we're we're premiers. We're in the premier year before. We're okay with the fake finals. We don't need this. And it's like. To me, an indication is just resting on your laurels, as you said. Well, it's and and it sort of gave the players an out, didn't it, to, yeah, to it be did. ordinary? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. we go back home and 
uh, we're kings of the jungle over here. We can, no, we're fine. Everything's okay. And they just, from there, it's just downhill really quickly. Well, that's a very good point too. Big fish in a small pond mm-hmm. uh, and a big hello to all our listeners in Western Australia. Um, all right. Uh, there's enough news for this week. 10 teams who, for whom it is mothballs in 2023. Uh, let's drill down on uh, what went wrong for each one of them. Well, let's start at the bottom. We have just been talking about this club, but West Coast finishing last with the wooden spoon, three wins, 20 losses, a percentage of just 53. Points for, they ranked 18th. Points against, they ranked 18th. Stats don't lie in this case. Uh, let's start with some positives. Pretty hard to find them, but I guess Oscar Allen uh, kicked 53 goals, That's more than 25% of their score. Uh, midfielder Tim Kelly, bit of a standout. Uh, liked the performances of Ruben uh, Ginby or Ginby, uh, who had to carry a fair bit of that uh, that that midfield load until his season was cut short by injury. And they did get a little bit better in the right towards the end. Rocket, they had two wins and a, a one point loss in their last five games, which was a a bit of an improvement. So uh, any positives you can glean? Uh, no, there wasn't many. I think it was an unintended positive, the fact of so many injuries and struggling that they had to play the kids. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether they're at this stage. There's a there's a couple they found. I thought Young Hewitt in the end was okay. Uh, as you said, Gimby was showed a bit. Uh, Williams showed a bit. So they've they've had to play them. So they've they're actually half a season into their development. Which is which I think is a positive. They didn't have to wait till next year. They didn't get stuck playing the same blokes that they've played in the past who are struggling um, with injuries or, or form. So I think that's a positive. Negatives, well, this the whole season really. It's just the way they capitulate, having so many hundred point losses, uh, got belted when especially at home as well. So they, yeah, they, yeah, they're poor. Well. You mentioned the numbers. I, I think that's that's the bottom line here. If you're assessing what was bad about West Coast, five 100-point-plus beltings in one season, That that's the stuff of Fitzroy in 1996. Woeful percentage, 53. Had no targets up forward besides Oscar Allen. Uh, to wit, they ranked 18th for points scored. They were 18th for scores per inside 50. 18th for points against... 18 for opposition scores per inside 50. They were worst in the comp for contested ball and clearances. That's everything, really, isn't mm. it? Yeah, that's right. The whole game was horrible. And, and I think you know, a player like Andrew Gus, been a great player for him, and you've got to doff your hats. He, you know, he stuck it in there week in and week out. But his form's just fallen off the cliff. Like Yo's body's given up. Um, Hearn and Shuey through the bodies have retired. Nat Nui's retired. So the bodies of a lot of their players really started to really started to show some real signs. Um, uh, so you know there wasn't much leadership uh, because of the players out, and the kids had to do it by themselves. And and I think you're right. The last five games showed a little bit maybe that the development of some of the kids was a little positive for them. Well, where to from here? And we've mentioned this. They concede it themselves. You know they've got a massive rebuild ahead, but. One of the legacies of, of carrying so many older players who took up spots on a list but didn't play 
is that they're, it's sort of held back their development of the young blokes they have. And you're still sort of trying to figure out whether some of these guys who've come in are up to it or not. They've just lost already 800 games of experience with the retirements of Nat Nui, Hearn and Luke Shuey. Um, and they are pivotal players in all parts of the ground, in defence uh, and midfield particularly with, with Nat Nui and Shuey. So... Um, you know the younger oh, there, there hasn't been enough of those young guys who've have got to uh, the task. Uh, they're going to have to trade in some experience as well. Yeah, I mean there's one or two ways they can go, and I suppose it's all about where to for now. It comes down to expectations. I reckon hopefully you can win a game or two more, but their percentage has got to get better. That's got to be the first expectation. So in other words, they don't lose by as much. Yeah. Might win, but yeah. they so they're that's an improvement. They're going to play with the young side. They've got the first pick. Uh, I reckon they'll trade that, get two or three first rounds, uh, or two first rounds in the second round. So, therefore, get an influx of players, maybe Western Australians, try and pick out cherry picks and like a Carl Amon that uh went to Hawthorne, that type of thing. They've got the first pick in the in the pre season draft, they can get it through for nothing. Maybe just a player who's going to help with that experience, just, just be smart with their thing, but. Don't raise the bar too much more than expectations. It's got to be development year. I always remember Paul Roos going in at Melbourne and making that percentage such the priority. Is that what they need to do? To focus almost wholly and solely on reducing the damage? Oh, no. What it is, you've got to be harder to play against. Yeah. So they've, they've got to fix everything. Everything. So you're not going to fix everything in one year. So let's focus on really, uh, you know, your contest right. Uh, you, de- you defend without the ball really well. Um, so you get those two right, and then you can work on your skill and your, and your movement of ball, et cetera, et cetera, to give Alan a chance to kick goals, which they can do. But, you know, they've had five losses over 100 points. They've got to make sure that there's no loss over 60 points, say. Yeah. And let's 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 keep, you know, uh, all within the 20, 30 points. A bit like with GWS, I know there's the talent differential, but, you know, the GWS didn't have many... Only had one blowout the whole year. So um, just by hanging in there and and be able to uh, reference that consistently and measure against that, um, they can make some steps forward. Yeah, baby steps, I think they're going to have to be, it's fair to say. All right, uh, tough times ahead for the Eagles. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about North Melbourne. They finished 17th with three wins, 20 losses, percentage 71.5. Points for, they ranked 17th. Points against, they ranked 17th. All right, positives, Rocket. Uh, two stars of the future, I think, Harry Sheasel and George Wardlaw. Uh, career best season by Nick Larkey up forward. 71 goals, third in the Coleman medal. Quite remarkable, given how poor they were as a team. Uh, some of their contested numbers were pretty good. Um, ranked 14th. Uh, and 18th last year for clearance and contested ball. This year that went to 11th and 8th. Um, and I guess another, you know the the rebuilding continues with the postseason retirements of Jack Siebel and Ben Cunnington. Yeah, I think um, now they've had quite a few injuries. Now Tarrant Thomas came back. Uh, uh, David Uniac. Start of the season exceptionally well and got injured. So, therefore, your midfield and, and young Will Phillips was in and out, but it had some really good games. So, they've, they've got the basis of a really good midfield, as you mentioned. Wardlaw Shoes will go in there eventually and be a forward as well. 
So they've uh, Simpkin, so they've got, they've got the makings of a really good forward line. They struggle down back. Um, I suppose that's the negative, but that they've tried and recruit into that area. Uh, but I, I think that was some really positive signs. As with a younger team, that you know they fell off the cliff at times. Uh, but their last three or four weeks was encouraging. Their middle four or five weeks in the middle of the season was was you know was a positive as well. So I, I would think, especially, and we spoke about the tanking earlier, that with their win in the last game. Gives them impetus to attack pre-season in a positive light. The young players will say, yeah, I'll, you know, that I want to sing that song again. I had a real good feeling after that game, and I think we're heading in the right direction. I, I guess another sort of mitigating factor, they, they had a pretty lengthy injury list for a lot of a year, and they're not a side that can afford to be without many of their stars. Um, one one bad thing, uh, and Alistair Clarkson took an extended break from May to August as a result of the you know, the mental health issues, dealing with that pretty nasty racism allegation out of his time at Hawthorne. But, um, you know, not for a moment saying that wasn't the right thing to do. Of course, he had to do what was right for him. But uh, do you sort of feel uh, from a purely coaching perspective that it's sort of put everything back a year almost? Like his, his year one as North coach wasn't really a year one as a coach of a new club. I don't think he put it back a year. Uh, and probably before he took the break, he wasn't his normal self. Obviously, you try and fight fight through it. Um, and I thought Ratton did a really good job and, and probably using the same language as what Alice has got and trying to get the same development. But, and they were quite good, for, as I said, for that four or five weeks. Then they had a real flat patch um, and Alice came back. And, so they probably had three different coaches, you know, Alice twice and Ratton once, as in, that new coach feel had an impact each time. So it yeah, gave them a yeah, bit yeah. of a boost. Um, but I think the time away has probably helped Alistair and he can look it through a different lens where it's at. Um and where that and I think if they can make some good decisions over the over the breakthrough trade and draft, I, I think that they can push up the ladder a bit next year. So final question on on you just touched on it in terms of what they should be chasing. I mean, Griffin Logue was recruited as a key defender. He's done a ACL and will miss most of next year. And much speculation as we record this about Ben Mackay and whether he's going to stay. So superficially, you look, I'm looking at it thinking they're going to need some key defenders from somewhere, and also up forward help for key, uh, Nick Larkey too. Yeah, that obviously Zerhar was out, so he gives him a bit. He's not a key. Um, Coleman Jones from Combin, you hope they can make another step. <clears throat> but you're right about the defence. So you, you read between the lines, you seem as, seems as if North aren't that unhappy if Mackay goes, if they can get an early pick. Um, and he's a key defender, which teams want. So where they'll get a key defender from is is an interesting one, but they'll chase that through. Um yeah, I think that's their biggest area. I don't think Lowe was a key defender. Aiden Core as well, they got. I don't think he's a key defender. So that's that's their biggest weakness. Um, obviously, backup ruck for Zeri, Tristan Zeri. Uh, he was injured a fair bit. Goldstein carried that, but Goldstein's 36 or whatever he is, so you can't expect him to be there much longer. So now they've got an issue there. So they've certainly got holes in their list, there's no doubt. But... As you now we talk about number one pick, but having early picks does help. But they've got shoes or who's a, who's a jet, you know, pick two, whatever it was. So they've got that, just so they can pick two and three. You would think that's going to be two really good players. That's going to be really good players. They're going to load them up. So, uh, and that injection, that'll be a really positive for them. 
they're going to have a great stockpile of young talent over the next few years. There's no question about that at all. So second last on the ladder, but um, a fair bit of upside for the Kangaroos, I think it's fair to say. All right, let's move on. Well, we talked about the ladder perhaps not being necessarily reflective of how good a season sides had. Here's Exhibit A, Hawthorne. Your old Bob Rocket, 16th on the ladder, 7 wins, 16 losses, percentage 80.2, 16th for points scored, 16th for fewest points conceded. But it's a big but because they unearthed a stack of great players who, great young players who continue to develop. They're playing a, a daring game style. Um, and if I was a Hawthorne person, I'd be really bullish about the future. Um in addition to the seven wins, three losses by three points or less. They beat two top four sides in Collingwood and Brisbane. Um, they finished seventh for clearance differential this year, which is a, a stat they don't, even when they were great, they didn't fare that well in. And six for contested possession differential. Um, you have a crack rocket. All, all positives to your old, old boys, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I think there was. There's a lot of positive. The start of the season, I was one out of the first nine, so there was the tanking debate by certain sections of the media, which was which was crazy. Um, but uh, I think it shows having your bookends right. No, no, Lewis missed those first nine weeks. He really straightened them up when he came back in. Sicily had a great year, was, and they got a good system where they released him as that interceptor, and at times he was able to really control games. Uh, but I think where they were really positive and against what the experts predicted with Amir and Mitchell going, that their midfield actually improved. Uh, uh bounces, contested ball, uh, clearances in general, uh, sevenths, as you said. So, they, now, they, obviously, Jai Newcomb, Will Day went in there, who was a really good player. Warple started to return to form to what he'd shown two or three years ago. And other players that they threw, Young McDonald and Ward and a few other players, they and Mackenzie. So I think I think the future looks right. They're probably getting that right. I think picking up on Sam Mitchell's comments of the last game, I don't think he's under any illusions either. He knows that we've got some holes in our list and we need to get better. Um, I was I was really uh, impressed with his coaching, as in as tactically yeah. changing changing game style at times, going from a handball based game then to Kicking, uh, then to kick mark to slow the game down, and they played Brisbane. So be able to do that for a young side shows that their education, their learnings, is actually fast tracking and training. So um, I, I think they'll really improve. Um, I don't think they'll make the finals next year. And I, if expectations are they make the finals, people will get disappointed and they'll say they've gone backwards. I, I think if they can. Be in the mix like Adelaide and that were this year for the finals and be you know, in a round and miss by a game or two, but right up to the round 22, that they're a chance. I think that's what they should be aiming for. It's not an unrealistic aspiration, though, is it? No, no, not at all. Not at all. But uh, if that's going to be the one, it's like Freo this year, they made the finals and the backside fell out of them. So mm. the Competitions that even that you don't you only need a few injuries or things to go wrong um, to actually not reach those expectations. Couple of observations. Uh, love John Newcomb. It's pretty hard not to. Will Day. Uh, someone made this comparison a few weeks ago, and ever since it's really stayed with me. Will Day is starting to play midfield like a Nat Fife, that strong body midfielder with a bit of class. I really like the way he's tracking. 
Uh, the other one we haven't mentioned, I think he's really added something to them, uh, Connor Nash. I think yes. he can, uh, a real, can be a really good player for him. Now, one more interesting thing here in terms of that continued development, potential issues, I guess, down back. Now, I really like Shenkoth Jack, but he had injury, just played eight games to the season. So hopefully he'd come back. Uh, but Denver, Granger, Barras, not quite hitting the mark there as that sort of key defender they're looking for. So in terms of where they go, I wonder if they get interested in the likes of Ben Mackay or alternately from Geelong, Asava Radagalia. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, I think they'd like to have another have a tall defender. With all due respect, Sam Frost has been okay, but he's not the answer. Um uh, Scrimshaw has been in and out of the side and he played well the last four or five weeks. So he's just got to get himself fit and be able to run. He's now a great runner. Um, and it really depends on Sicily. So I think they'd like Sicily, they'd like Matthew Scarlett to play that third defender where he can, he, he doesn't have to look after the best player and can yeah. intercept and control the game. So whether Ben Mackay is the answer, I don't know. I don't think I'd be paying Ben Mackay a lot of money. Um, it's just probably what he wants if he's going to move. Um, so whether it's Radagalia, uh, yeah, so whether there's an option, there's a chance to get someone to be able to fill a spot there, that's probably what they're looking at. Looking at. Uh, hopefully they can see something in Denver Brain Barras that they can develop. Their development's been quite good, whether he just needs a bit of size. He took a couple of marks forward, but whether that was part of his development to go down back and whether he can, he can stand up next to him. Well, they've made some brave uh, list decisions over the last few years, and they're, they've the evidence so far is they've nailed all of them. So uh, whatever they choose to do, uh, if I was a Hawthorne person, I'd be pretty confident they'll make the right call. But like I said, 16th on the ladder, but uh, with a huge bullet next to their names, uh, the Hawthorne Football Club. All right, let's move on. Finishing 15th was Gold Coast. Nine wins, 14 losses. Percentage 91.7. Points four, they ranked 12th. Fewest points conceded, they ranked 14th. Uh, all right, let's start with the positives. They won five out of seven throughout the middle of the year, included back-to-back wins in Darwin against the Western Bulldogs and Adelaide. All of that happening with Took Miller, their barometer spiritual guide, if you like, out injured. Um, they were solid for contested ball. They finished seventh, and they were solid for clearances, uh, differentials. They finished fourth. They're up forward, a bit more settled too, with Ben King coming back from injury. And he did struggle at times, but his partnership with Jack Lacocious looks like a long-term deal. At the other end, Charlie Ballard, pretty good down back. And uh, another exciting youngster, Bailey Humphrey. Uh, He looks a genuine spark for them. Uh, The band's pretty obvious, Rocket, including a sack coach midway through the year. But how did you see the Suns this year? Yeah, I thought what they achieved in Darwin, I would have thought their last half of the season was disappointing. Yeah. I thought they'd certainly be North Melbourne. I thought they'd be close to the eight. I didn't say expect them to make that, but I thought they'd probably wasted a couple of games. And they should have been um, up, I reckon, 11 wins. would have been a reasonable year for them. So they've got the makings of a good side. I think their defence can be an issue. I think that's something they look at. As I said, Ballard's very good, but if once teams start putting work into him um, and not allowing him to do what he what he does best is intercept, he tended to struggle. Um, I think 
also really mindful that didn't allow him at times to, to do that. Um, Colin struggled a little bit, uh, but up forward, King, you know, it's obviously both Kings are injury prone, and, uh, but he certainly can form the basis of a, a forward line. They were just inconsistent with everything they, they did. Even the midfield, like Anderson was probably the standout. Miller was out injured, but Rao had some great games, and he's had games only had eight league possessions or six league possessions, just up and down. So they've got the makings of a really good side. They just need to be more consistent. Well, I'm hearing what you're saying, and that, to me, echoes one theme, and ditto the uh, pattern of their season. So they're right in the hunt. And you remember they had that round 16 game against Collingwood, got absolutely smashed, and then the bottom fell out of it. So they lost seven of their last nine. That, to me, just screams from the rooftops. This is a side that lacks self-belief. So, to me, their, their issues are more less about personnel and structural weaknesses and more about mental resilience. And to that end, uh, there's no doubt the acquisition of Damien Harvick as coach is, uh, is going to be, a, you'd think from that score alone, a massive coup. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that helped him run some more system and uh, more structure, so they had belief in that. Um, I thought Wits as well was a very good player for them, get some first juice. And, you know, he's been a warrior for them and, and as captain. David Swallow's probably just about to go. I know mean, he's probably got another year left, but, you know, he's been a heart and soul. But they, they just, you know, Bailey Humphrey, as you mentioned before, but just some of these talented youngsters just need to have a bit more game time. You know, Bailey Humphrey looks up, he's going to be a guy. He'll be one that goes in the midfield as well. So that midfield's probably, I think, it's reasonably positive and pretty good. Uh, it's made to a few additions at either end of the ground. What do you expect out of them next year? I mean, we you know, we get used to the new coach bounce. Uh, you know, Hardwick's got an established reputation. There's some really good talent there. Uh, are, they, are they capable of bouncing, you know, to like top four status, do you think? No, I don't think so. I don't think it'll be top four yet. I think their their aim's real and expectation should be the finals. Mm. I think they I think they've got a reasonable enough list who have now got another year in them, so they won't be as young as they have been. So they're starting to get a you now that mid experienced side um with age and game. So I, I would have thought anywhere from seven to ten, but they should be aiming for the should be aiming for the eight. Oh, absolutely. Finals have got to be a, a priority. Uh, all right, that is enough on Gold Coast. They were 15th in 2023. Let's talk about the team that finished 14th. Well, if you were doing our ladder based on biggest disappointments of 2023, I reckon this team would just about be on top. I'm talking about Fremantle. Finalists in 2022, but 14th in 2023 with just 10 wins, 13 losses, percentage of 96.7. Points for, they were ranked 14th. Points against, ranked 11th. Um, okay, couple of positives. Jai Amos, outstanding up forward. Uh, 41 goals from 22 games. He is the long-term key forward prospect they've been looking for, even if he looks like he needs a good night's sleep, Brockett. <laughs> and he's the matchstick script, the eyes uh, Well, that, and he also, I think, looks like a page boy out of Game of Thrones, but uh, he can deal with that in the offseason. Uh, Luke Jackson, very good pickup for them as Ruckman and uh, rewarded with um, selection in the extended All-Australian squad. And he had to come to the party too because Sean Darcy missed a fair bit of footy. And Caleb Sarong, uh, very good individually, averaging more than 30 disposals a game. They were the good points, but uh, 
really disappointing by the Dockers. We expected a lot oh, more, didn't we? Oh, they, especially a team that made the finals and they were a youngster team. Yeah. And they got Jackson in. Um, I know they had a couple of retirements, but, uh, I mean, getting Jackson in, that was like, it's interesting with teams, and I imagine the media was like in Perth, oh, well, it's just going to happen. Now, now we're going to take the next step and finish top four and seem to forget about the hard work required. Um, and they... Um, now, they showed some real signs at times, and then they had the most disappointing losses that were inexplicable. And time, the times were given by 60 and 70 points, well, they just didn't turn up. And, yeah. um, and for a team, so I think we spoke about it, and we spoke about a couple of things, the word trust. And you just couldn't trust them if you're a supporter, but it's certainly as a, as a tipster, you just couldn't trust what they're going to bring and bring to the table. And they need to get over that. And if they're going to be back into the finals next year and finals consistently, they'll need to get uh, a more consistent effort and approach. Well, you feel, you feel like they really regressed on that score. It was almost back to the old Fremantle where, you know, Lions at home and Lambs away, and particularly in their road trips. You'd watch them for five, 10 minutes and know whether they were any sort of chance or not because it was just so obvious immediately whether the, the good or bad Freo had shown up. Did you get that feeling with them? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, I mean, they had a good win away against Melbourne and, and they got belted at home by GWS. So even that was inconsistent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so they're, they're, what you're saying is that they're, even their lack of consistency was inconsistent. <laughs> so you just, yeah, they just, you, you, you just couldn't pick them. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, they need the Frederick. They had a bit of speed, was there was their one wood. And that, that was, once those guys against Swatowski and... Fredericks were out, or they were able to be held. They tended to struggle. Um, Amir was going to be was going to replace a Monday, but um, played some good games at times. But his kicking can let him down. Uh, Brayshaw went went backwards a little bit. So like he was a really good player last year, and I think we highlighted during that he seemed to be playing as a defensive mid and not as a ball winner. And that's his that's his go is the contested ball. So. A few players changed their style, and I, I think it caught them out. Well, I, the, the midfield to me seems to be the biggest worry. I think they're thin there. Yeah, you're right about Amira. I think given what they were wanting from him, he just didn't deliver. So that was disappointing. A bit of a tick late in the season, Hayden Young went into that midfield and, and seemed to do well. But is that then going to become a robbing Peter to pay Paul scenario? Because that will take away from their defence. I guess the upside here is, and you touched on it, their youth. Um, so only five players on the list older than 30, and this season they had the fourth youngest list. So that surprised me a bit. I thought they were older than that. But when you when you drill down on the names and numbers, they are pretty young. So scope there for improvement, but just that midfield, I reckon they, they need to look to train in somewhere, I reckon. Yeah, 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 they need some. I think, and I don't know who was old, but they did miss David Monday. His yeah, ability to kick the ball is a beautiful kick. Defensively, down the back six, they sent our card times. Ryan had another good year. Pierce was up and down as captain, but you no, know, but we know he's a good defender. So they've got some names there. But I think you're right. I think they Brayshaw needs to take a step forward again next year. You've got so long. They just need to add another one or two players around there that's going to step up to give them a greater depth in that area. All right. Well, uh, interesting off-season ahead for the Dockers and their coach, Justin Longmuir. All right. Uh, they were 14th. Let's talk about 13th. 
All right, Rocket, I'm not going to be like Fonzie yet a happy days. I'm happy to say I was wrong. You were right. And this is exhibit A on this score. Richmond finished third eight. I had them playing in a grand final. You had them missing the eight, and you were spot on. Third eight, their finish. 10 wins, 12 losses, and a draw. 93.6 points for 11th, points against 13th. Uh, I'll let you take the lead here, saying you got it so right. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're talking about the positives. Uh, I know there was many positives. I suppose the youngsters that they were able to. Get, I think I think Toronto was a positive for them as a recruit. Yeah. The other side of that, when we talk about disappointment, I thought Hopper was a disappointment uh, for one they've had yeah. to give away, give in or give away first round picks. But Toronto was a, was a real positive for them. I've got a couple of positives, saying you're struggling. Um, they ranked first for scores per inside 50, so they were efficient. Um, they were able to make do uh, and stay competitive even without Tom Lynch for much of the season. Uh, and Daniel Rioli off half-back, reckon he was pretty positive yeah. for him as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he I think he was good. I, I was, I was going to say, I think... No matter like the GWS, there wasn't many times that they got belted. They were in they were in games, and they, they showed a fair bit of character and a fair bit of pluck uh, at times. And they, I, I don't know what they were after around seven or eight, but it seemed like they were in games and just couldn't get the job done. They just got run over a little bit or had one bad patch for 15, 20 minutes. But they were really competitive, and even showed the last game of the year with now they're competitive against Port Adelaide. So they, I mean they. They now they show that, so they've got a fair bit of character on the team. I think Martin's back to uh, not his best form, but he, he certainly took a step forward from the previous year, so that was a positive for them as well. Bolton showed a lot, probably got tried to play too many tricks, um, a bit too much yeah. leader at times. He, no. he, just, he needs now, with his number of games, to take over as a leader of the team rather than just a referee guy that can show tricks. Yeah, he did it again on the weekend. It's so frustrating where those those rush snaps over the body when he's you know thirty metres out in front. Like it's almost like he because he, he's got so much talent, he feels compelled to play on the edge. Like he's embarrassed to do the percentage thing, which is you know like if I'm whoever's coach there, that's the first thing you do. You give him slap him metaphorically, slap him around a bit and say, "Come on, man, just play the percentages yeah. now." On the band, this is a really interesting stat, I reckon. Right through their era of dominance, they're a great tur- turnover, points from turnover and points from forward half intercepts. Even last year, Rocket, Richmond ranked second and first in those categories. This year, 13th and 10th. So they've really lost that ability to apply and capitalise on forward pressure, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, and I think their ability to use the ball, even though they played a, a surge-type game, their, their skill level was, was quite good. And I think on the turnover, I think they've turned the ball over before they've been able to score themselves. Um, I think they missed Baker a time when he was out. Jaden Short as well um, was missed a few weeks. So those guys who can kick the ball hurt them. And the young lads coming in, uh, young ones coming in, just turned the ball over when they shouldn't have turned the ball over. So... Um, I think that uh, will be something to look at. I, I'm certain, and I've mentioned before, I, I think with Tassie coming in and their concessions, when they get probably in three years' time, I just worry about where Richmond's list is going to be. I think uh, they, they haven't got a first-round pick this year. They could be away for Hopper. Uh, they've lost a couple of players now. Grimes has made the decision, but he's 32-33. Martin's 33-34. Lynch is coming back under a cloud. 
Uh, yeah, there's, it's an older type of squad pressure as well. Uh, missed the last game with an injury. Who gets a soft tissue, but he's 31, 32. He hasn't got a long left. So their, their list needs to be regenerated uh, really quickly. Otherwise, they could find themselves in the bottom half of the ladder. I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff. I, I don't mind their young talent. I, I think everything you're saying there is fair because these young guys, we haven't seen a lot of them. But I sort of like what I've seen. So who am I talking about here? Uh, Tyler Young, Samson Ryan, Jacob Bauer, Ben Miller, I thought showed a bit on occasions. Two guys, and I've mentioned them a lot, and, and they've both had their issues, but I like them. I think there's something there with both of them. Noah Cumberland and Morris Rioli Jr. So, I mean, there's half a dozen guys, I think, who have shown they can perform at the level. Admittedly, you know, they're... they're they're very, very raw, but it's not like they're bereft of young talent coming through, I feel. Do you agree with that? Or not? Uh, yeah, but it's the level of that talent. I think there'll be good support players. I don't think any of those will be an A grader. Right. Um, so I think they need some influx and some good talent to support. Because yeah, if you take pressure out and shout up now, say in 12 months' time, two years' time, I, I don't know where the next, you know, Taranto's an A grader but I don't know, and Grimes gone, where the next eight, and Bolton could be an A grader if he, if he can, uh, you know, with experience, but there's not much else. Now, they're good, solid players. They'll be a good, solid team. We know they've got character, and then we know they compete, but they need that influx of talent, I think. And obviously, the coach, um, we don't know who it's going to be, Andrew McWalter. It's just his stocks seem to be... Yeah, I yeah, spoke about that. Yeah. I, I must admit, I liked the last couple of weeks. Okay. And I, for me, it was like, uh, they played a little bit differently. He did a couple of different things. I thought they were okay last weekend. Maybe, I think, where they're going to make a decision is where their list is at, where they say their list in the next two, three years, and who, it's not so much a game plan, and it's about who's going to be able to develop and fast track that list as quick as we can because, as I've just mentioned, then you know, there's no chance of being in the in the premiership frame in the next three years. Mm. So they've they've got to fast track that as quick as they can to get up to be competitive in the finals. Yeah, it's an interesting coaching appointment, isn't it? It's almost a coaching appointment that gets shaped by the list rather than vice versa. Yeah, I think it either be McQuarrie or Newman. I think one of those guys will get. I think it's down to those two. All right, you heard it here first on the Footyology podcast. If we're in the business of clickbait, I'd now well out of headlines saying, Hey, backs. All right, let's move on. Coming in at 12th, the reigning premier. Not for much longer, though. Geelong, 10 wins, 12 losses, and a draw. Decent percentage, 112.6. Points for, they were ranked fifth. Points against, they were ranked seventh. Uh, the good, well, um, didn't start well, lost the first three games, but they did have a five-match winning sequence, which sort of reignited their season. Uh, Jeremy Cameron on fire during that period and and the best key forward in the game at that stage. Got some good sides out of uh, Ollie Henry and Tanner Brune and yep. uh, Grian Myers, we talked about, uh, came into his own really as a, a forward assist player, even if he has a slightly unorthodox kicking action. That's a good stuff. Um, but overall, you know, you'd have to be pretty disappointed with their year. Yeah, yeah, it was a disappointing year for them. I think Tom Stewart was the other one who had an exceptional oh, yeah. back, as he always does. Yeah. Um, I think 
as a positive last year with what they're able to do to bring some youngsters in. Um, and he had us played some youngsters, like they brought Bruin in, Jack Bowes in, uh, got Ollie Henry from Collingwood. So they were to, so that's a, the future. They've, uh, Zach Guthrie got a few bit more game time into them. So they think they have looked for the future as well as trying to pinch another flag, uh, which didn't work that way. But it wasn't at all the expense of their, their youth. The downside was so many injuries. Um, and the role of the players, uh, uh, probably getting those injuries, danger looked if he was he was banged up at the end. Isaac Smith's retired. Cam Guthrie never got back, really, and they missed him. Um, their rucks were really decimated during the year as far as but, you know, con- some some consistency about being on the park. Standing was injured a lot. So um, I, I think injuries, when you've got an old side, uh, and eventually it's, you know, the injuries are going to come. And uh, and they hit them all at once, and that uh, that's, that's given the impetus now to play some more youngsters. This is a thing, though, isn't it? And I'd never begrudge them doing it because they've won a premiership out of it. But you inevitably pay a toll for going with that amount of age, and the toll can last several years. And here's a good example of it. So they finished this year with 13 players older than 30. Now, it's going to be fewer next year. Isaac Smith's retired. Jonathan Segler's retired, Sam Menegola uh, not being offered a contract. We're going to see more go. I mean, you know, Reece Stanley, Zach Tui, who knows? I'm, I'm just throwing names up there. But there's so many players on the other end of a list who we don't know if they're up to it and they haven't got any experience. They have. I was talking to Tom Hawkins about this pre-game last week, and he, he agreed. They've got 14 guys who have pl- on that list right now who've played 10 games or less. So there's a sizable chunk of their list rocker, but they actually don't know are they good enough or not to build a future around. No, that's right. And I think man, you know, when you're successful at Geelong, it's difficult. And I think Chris Scott has never, and a few other players who we don't know a lot about, played a few games and looked as if they've got some talent. So I think it'll fast-track that now they'll be able to play those guys. Um, I don't think they'll fall down. I don't think they'll fall down the ladder um, as much as people think. It did show, though, when Dangerfield got back after his hamstring injury, the impact that he can have on the team when he's fit. Um, yeah. Now, whether he can have that again next year at times, I don't know. I think age seems to be catching him out too. Um, Hawkins will be in for one more year. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you, I, no, they're silly. I wouldn't have thought they'd make the eight next year. But I think they draft well. They've shown the past that their list manager is very good. They make really good decisions and getting the right players in. So I would think they'll be mid-table in the game next year. Uh, are they vulnerable midfield? Well, I'm starting to worry about their midfield depth. Do they need to go out and try and get a, uh, you know, a Bailey Smith or a Darcy Parrish or someone? Uh, well, it's a good point. They're internally, do you give up your first-round pick again? Um, so, or what? What do they see? What's their belief? What's their What's their philosophy? Um, I don't think they do. Uh, Darcy Parrish looks like he's going to stay. I don't think Bailey Smith, even though he wants more midfield time, I don't think he's a, a genuine A great midfielder. I think he's part time inside mid, play on the wing, and, and give me some run. I don't think that he's the answer to that. Mm-hmm. So it'll be more if Cam Garcia will be back. And we've got Atkins in there, but Atkins is a role player. Um, Dangerfield at times, yeah. Yeah, they probably lack uh, a few minutes. Duncan's another one who was in the last, or suspended the last one, but he's 32, 33, didn't play around six or seven. So 
yeah, there's going to be an older side. So I think there'll be the, I think it'll be the, the year where they'll have a big transition stage. I think it's inevitable, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about this for a long time, but I think this time it actually is happening. So, uh, and you can understand Geelong going for it this year. I mean, they won last year, yeah. so there's a chance. Yeah, there's no drama there. But as I said, they've got Bruin, Bowes, and Ollie Henry um, at the same time still going for a premiership. So I think they've done pretty well. All right. Yeah, well, I think we, we both agree on this one. There's going to be a fall, but it's uh, it's going to be a cushioned fall rather than a free fall, I think it's fair to say. All right, let's move on. All right, let's talk about... Uh, a certain club from the northern suburbs, Essendon, who finished 11. 11 wins, 12 losses, 89.7%. Points for, they were 13. Points against, 15. All right, they started well. They won four of their first five, Rocket. Uh, highlight of that and probably the best win of the season, 27-point win over Melbourne. In the gather round, other pluses I thought of, Kyle Langford, great up forward with 51 goals in Peter Wright's absence. Finished equal eight in the Coleman medal with that. Zach Merritt uh, took to that captaincy role like a, a duck to water. Nick Martin, very impressive, particularly early on the wing. And uh, look, in addition to those 11 wins, there's some narrow losses, two narrow losses against Port Adelaide, one heartbreakingly after the siren. And uh, Anzac Day against Collingwood nearly upset the pies, but but finished very badly. How do you see the Bombers? Interesting about it, so they finished the Levis. Uh, an equal tenth, and then, um, but there, they were thirteenth for points, four and fifteenth for points against. Like, yeah. how do how do they get where they were? So they must have had some close wins. Um, and those two close losses just say that they'd won those. They're in the in the eight, <laughs> in the eight with a percentage of eighty nine percent. It doesn't strike <laughs> quite a balance out. So, I think the first seventeen rounds, and we've spoken about it a fair bit, how. Uh, Mature they were, even though they were undersized and probably a young team. And uh, they fought back games that that Geelong game where they eight goals to nil down and got back to a chance to to win the game in the last quarter. And uh, so they you now they showed that they had a bit of a fight. And so all those signs were positive. There was some really positivity about that. Their last seven weeks, they lost three in a row, then they just beat North and West Coast, and then got two beltings in the end. So the wheels just really fell off and exposed them. Um, uh, and probably if it happened the other way around, that last seven weeks or the first seven weeks, everyone would have seen all great squads in all of the basket case and then <laughs> pull them out. Yeah. Now, uh, what they showed the first seven and a half weeks, you'd say, well, hang on, there's some, there's some issues here. Uh, it's interesting reading, and you know more than me, but reading articles, it sort of indicates about how blase the Essendon plane group are and the lack of standards and they... No, they couldn't make the first week of pre-season training last year because they're in you know, Ibiza and they're way up so sorry on it's like they're playing amateurs. It's like they're in the amateur and that and everyone keeps talking about it. And it's not just one person about their standards and all about pushing standards. It just seems a common thread. And I think Brad Scott's probably not like this as a as a coach. I think he's but he needs to he needs to be hard on it. I think it, it seems like this is the way we're doing it. And um nowadays you sort of involve the playing group and decisions and then I think it's I think it's past that. I think it's like, no, nah, this is the way we're going about it. This is what pre season's like. If we don't want to do it, we can go. And this is um now we're gonna now we're gonna turn this around. 
absolutely spot on. And can we just have a discussion after we finish this about you coming on board in some capacity? Because um, I've been going on about this for five years. This is a club which has major cultural issues. I think Brad Scott's become increasingly aware of them. And his post-game press conference was absolutely pointed. This is a playing group that is far too satisfied just with playing AFL footy. And you'd be familiar with this. You would have run into this in your last years at Gold Coast. There are too many players now who are just happy to be AFL players and the success is sort of incidental to it. Um, I I, I don't think it's just that. I think, you know, the saga rocked the cultural fabric of the club. The, you know, hangover of the Sheedy era, the herd mystique, all these things have contributed. But this is a club which is culturally weak and desperately needs the right examples being set on and off the field. I think they're starting to do that off the field, but I think it's such a a gradual process that you might not see the results of this on the field for years. So it's sort of like a lot of Essendon people talking about, oh, you know, they need to play Baldwin more and they need to play Martin here rather than here. It's way, way more fundamental than that. This is a, a club, let alone a playing group, that needs a massive kick in the ass, basically. That's how I say it. Yeah. It, yeah, before you start talking tactics and strategies and playing blokes here or whatever, you need to get the fundamentals. You need to get the yeah. base right. And the whole base is what your values are and what, just, what the standards are. And they need to be set in concrete. So when when the when the top end of the house falls over and you're not playing well or the game plan doesn't work, you know you you can call on this character and you know your hard work and and your trust um, and what the players can actually uh, bring to the table. And you just at the moment you, you see and the stories you what I'm reading in the press, I think it's in the reading press, I'm talking to a lot, and it keeps coming up the same thing about the standards and the lack of training and you. Can, you can tell what Brett Scott said about Jake Stringer when he came back. When he said, I don't know from Jake, I don't know what words he's using, but it was really quick to say, well, he's not fit enough. He's virtually not fit enough and doesn't train hard enough. So how can we pick him? He didn't say those words, but it was like, well, this has been Jake Stringer's problem for years. Well, you either do it or your AFL career's finished. I mean, yeah. sorry. it's it, You just can't make exceptions. And uh, once you start making exceptions in play, it's the old thing, isn't it? Uh, are you involved or are you committed? Want to be involved? Want to be involved? Just go. I'll go play, and I'll take us down the bottom. But, but we want to be committed and be a final team. Now we don't want to be just just play AFL footy. Um, and if they are like that, and it's just not uh, the Gold Coast. I mean, it happens. There are players at every club, and the and clubs uh, players will just fall off the back end. And good clubs, they don't last long. Like they're there. They're in every club. They're in every club, and you try and change them with your education and the culture and. And you turn them around, but but they're there at every club, but they don't last long at the good clubs. No, and I, I think maybe there's more of them than there used to be. I think there's, I don't, I've just had a thing, it's an old man's view, but I just think there's more players for whom it's a workplace and the, you know, the drive and desperate hunger for team success isn't what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I couldn't argue with that. I don't know. I haven't got any facts on that, but but certainly, uh, yeah, and the, and the way, with a modern society and modern football, it's all about nice things for the players. It's all about being really, really good. Anyway, uh, it, you know, something of Essendon have got to work through. But I think Essendon have got to do that. They might have to go backwards to go forwards, but Essendon supporters don't want to hear that. But really, they showed the first seven weeks. They've got the talent enough to get to the finals. What, what's going to happen with Zerk Thatcher? Why, why, why does he want to leave? 
Oh, he's an Adelaide boy and he apparently wants to be back in Adelaide. I don't think there's anything more to it than that, but uh, I'm not, I'd, I'd hope they fight pretty hard to keep him because yeah. I think he's been a much improved player. Nothing up, Princess. All right. Don't worry about that, Okay, we're going to move on. And uh, good point, Rocket. I think in the off-season we should rename this podcast Two Old Codgers Whinging About Contemporary Society. <laughs> I think we do it very well. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, well, here's another good example of a uh, side that didn't make finals, but uh, a lot of reasons to be positive, and I'm talking about Adelaide. They finished 10th, 11 wins, 12 losses. Great percentage for a side in that position, 116.8. First in the competition for points scored and haven't made the finals. I wonder when the last time that happened was. And points against. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Points against ninth. Um, bottom line, 11 wins, three more than last year's eight. Uh, some very uh, narrow defeats. Uh, boy, they lost uh, seven of their 12 losses by under three goals. All this with the third youngest and second least experience list in the competition. Uh, massive upside, Rocket. How about that? But a heavier scoring side in the, of the year doesn't make finals. No, no, I think it's just those close losses that killed them, as we spoke about. And and they had a, and they had a solid draw for a team that finished down, down near the bottom last year or the middle of the table. So, but there was a lot of positive signs. A lot of had a couple of bad bad weeks. Um, then lose their defence, as in names, was never a high profile. But they lose Duday and they lose Murray and Butts. So they now they cobbled that together. So their points against could have been a lot better as well. Um, Midfield, we spoke about, and you did, and I agree with you that the midfield, where's the improvement going to come from? But Dawson going in the midfield was a real plus. Um, and they obviously, Laird had a really good season as well. They throw, threw in Pedler and Rochelle and different other guys going through there. I, hopefully, in the future, they may throw ranking in there at times as well. Um, they've you know, certainly got a talented forward line. McAdam came in, I don't know if he probably was joining them, but he replaced Rankin, but showed his talent. So you've got McAdam, Rankin, and Rochelle, like three. Am level players who can all mark the ball with all can kick exceptional goals. Tex was a real positive. Um, so they, uh, so yeah, I think the sides are good. I think Riley O'Brien, the Ruck, does a good job for them. Uh, so I think their positives uh, are really strong and gives them a good play confidence next year. Just while you're naming names, three more uh, I wanted to throw in two uh, uh, Max Michelani in defence, Jake Saligo, and Luke Pedler. Really like Pedler. Yeah, yeah, he did, he did well, but he's hard and he's you now he's hard at it and, and kicks it well. So and then and then and, and they're a pretty good kicking side. Uh, disappointments or downside? I still got a question mark on Riley Philthorpe. I think I know he's only young in his third or fourth season, but he just doesn't do enough. He just he's just got to start to. I know I took Darcy Fogarty a, a bit of time, and he's getting to that stage now. You can start to align him, but Philthorpe needs to needs to grab that opportunity. I think. Uh, their injuries to 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 the defence um, hurt them um, as a negative, and be able to close off close games, be able to win those close games. They lost too many, so there's got to be something there that Nick's has got to work on. Yeah, well, the the defensive stuff's interesting because uh, Nick Murray. I mean, that happened late, and that happened in the Melbourne game, so he's going to miss a large chunk of next year as well. And Duday, they're not even sure he's going to be there because there's. He's unsigned, and there's sort of speculation there he might move on. So, for a side that even with those uh, guys in as part of the mix, 
finished only ninth for points conceded. There's some potentially some issues there. I guess the other one that just comes with maturity is their propensity to to get smashed on the road a bit. They had those days where they just didn't turn up, but that comes with maturity, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, but they just another one of their losses in Brisbane just lost, just lost to Collingwood and MCG. So they, they but they what they need to do next year those. You said seven games by less than three goals. They need to win four of those next year. Yeah, they need to they need to convert that to become a good side. So uh, uh, if they can do that, they'll get themselves in the eight. Well, better than the eight, they'd just about be top four, wouldn't they? So yeah. uh, no, I think we're, we you've got to be bullish about what the Crows are, are capable of next year. It's uh, it's been a well, the other thing I like about it, just quickly, it's been a very gradual rebuild, hasn't it? Well, I mean, we, 2020 was yeah. Matthew Nix's first year, I think won three games and it's been like three games, five, uh, you know, eight, uh, now up to 11. Uh, finals absolutely has to be, yeah, they have to make finals. Yeah, that's right. And that's got to, you know, that's where the pressure starts to come now. That's what happens with the teams and that's how they handle that. Like Fremantle didn't handle that pressure and dropped out. And now that expectations, how they're expected now to make the finals next year. All right, uh, so very positive prognosis for the Crows for 2024. We've got one more non-finalist to talk about. Let's do that. Ninth place on the 2023 AFL ladder, Western Bulldogs. 12 wins, 11 losses, a percentage of 108.7. Points four, ranked only 10th, and I think that would almost be the most disappointing thing about them. Points against... Uh, might have surprised a few people. They were fifth. So the good stuff, Rocket. Marcus Bontempelli, outstanding season. Yeah, if, he, if he doesn't win the Brownlow, he's going to be very close. Tim English, great season. Uh, probably will be the All-Australian Ruckman, you'd think. Tom Libertore, career best year for him in his 12th season on the list. Jamari Eagle-Agan started to play more consistently. Ed Richards, terrific in defence. They were solid, the Bulldogs, so clearances, contested ball, inside 50s. But, and I'll let you do the buts. Well, they didn't They didn't win many games against top eight sides. They were their second highest score, except for the Eagles, against um, top eight sides. So even though they were uh, the fifth best defence, so they were able to beat... Um, at the end, they couldn't beat the bottom sides, but um, they were very good at beating the bottom sides early in the year. They just inconsistency. They struggled, I thought, going inside 50. I thought uh, the inside, number of inside 50s to the conversion uh, was how they tend to bomb the ball a lot. Um, drop off in players, McRae, Smith. Um, you, you, know, you mentioned five players there who, on the positives, who had really good seasons. Um, some exceptional seasons. So most teams would get that would be in the eight. But uh, they they dropped away there. Jones was a real positive for them until he got injured. So that, that hurt them. William Jones was a good... Uh, the inconsistency of a Waitman. Um, some of these players who show some talent just don't do enough. Um, and they need to do... They need to do more. So they need more consistency. I mean, they, yeah, they need to revamp their... Modify their game plan a little bit. Um uh, yeah, they've got some some real thinking to do over the summer, sure. What what about the fact that, like, literally two years ago, we're talking about, oh, this midfield has ridiculous depth, you know, when Trelaw came in, how are they going to fit them all in there? 
and now I reckon you're looking at their midfield and, and, and it feels thin. And I reckon they've really underestimated the difference that not having Dunkley and Lockie Hunter would make. Yeah, so uh, certainly Dunkley. Uh, and, and the Trelaws had a reasonable season. Uh, he's been okay, but he's ending towards 30. Um, you know, Bonds and Pelly spent more time in there. Libba's had a really good year, but McRae's been pushed out. Smith's been pushed out. Um, so, and, they, and they've dropped off with their, with their output. I think Caleb Daniel's gone in there, and yeah, it doesn't seem to be the answer in the Mitchell. I don't know where they can play him. He's a nice, neat player, Caleb, but he's. He's so small and he hasn't got great speed, but he's you know he's a nice keeper. I think he's a kicking fish since he dropped off. I think though when they were on fire was when Johannesson and Richards coming off half back and they had Baby Dale as well. So they rebounds on the back fifty. Then Johannesson did a hamstring, Richards did a hamstring, and they seemed to struggle then. They seemed to at least they were cutting they were going through the lines where they play a really big handball game, handball around stoppages and get out and then and then kick the ball along. And I think uh, that's was where they we're able to hurt teams on the rebound out of the back 50. Bottom line, I mean, they were my flag tip. Um, I think most people would agree that there's, there's still massive talent on that list. Do you feel like the fundamentals are there and this is perhaps a coaching issue? And by that, I'm not saying, you know, beverage shouldn't be the coach, but the, there's something, I sort of feel they're a bit like Richmond in 2016. And if they tinker around with the coaching setup and, get the right people supporting Bevo and maybe change his focus a little bit, that they can still get something out of this generation of players. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that as far as change people around it, but they certainly haven't changed their game style a lot, and I think they probably just need to tinker with that. Norton's been a bit disappointing. Um, Lobb's been disappointing. Um, So... Whether whether Norton is going to send half back, I'm not too sure. But his kicking for goal has, has hurt them, um, and and certainly Lobb's not the player that they would expect. So, on the surface of it, they've got the team that should make the finals, so they should be aiming for finals next year. But Liverpool's 31; uh, they're starting to get a little bit old. Um, next year's still a chance. I don't know about the year after, so they'll need to they'll need to probably find a player or two to fill a hole. They, they seem their bottom six drop away a bit compared to other teams around, so they don't seem to get a lot from them. So I don't know whether they need to change selection on those sort of things, I'm not too sure. But certainly the game style, I think more about you have to look at GWS there, how they can hit targets inside at 50 and they run the ball and they move it, move it with efficiency. Where the Bulldogs tend to go sideways a bit and go around circles a bit and handball a lot. Um, and they will tend to get numbers back behind the ball. Well, that's an interesting observation. Let's see what they do, whether they tinker or whether they uh, mess around with a list. Or There's several ways they could go, but I think uh, whichever way they go, it's fair to say there'll be plenty of pressure on them to deliver, and Luke Beveridge specifically, to deliver results next year because uh, no doubt for the talent they have in my book that they've underperformed this year. All right, that is every club who didn't make the finals in 2023 season reviewed. Uh, thanks for that, Rocket. Good stuff as per usual. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, big previews of the first four finals, and we will uh, continue this exercise with sides whose final series finish, of course, as the season winds up, if that makes sense. I didn't articulate that as well as yeah, I know. But, well, no. I think we know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. 
Uh, and don't forget, of course, our off-season special to grumpy old blokes whingy about contemporary society. It's unmissable content here at Footyology. Uh, thanks to your patronage, everyone. Good luck if your side's playing in the finals. Try and enjoy it anyway if they're not. Oh, I love finals time. It's a great time of year. I've had to get used to my side not being in finals for a while. Uh, all right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>